Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is Tales of the Justice Society of America, episode 22, and you don't know how lucky you are that this is not a video podcast, because it's not pretty. Oh, it's early, early, early I'm not wearing pants. Oh, now you're really, really lucky, and so am I. I, by the way, am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. How's it going, man? It's early, but that's okay. Why Early. Why is it that we can stay up till like two o'clock in the morning, you know, recording and everything's fine? We we have to get up at like eight o'clock when the rest of the world normally has to get up, and it's like I can't do anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, no, I I feel you. Well, I'm t- I've I've never ever been a morning person. You know, I need my sleep if I'm going to get up and have my usual sunny disposition, and I just. Didn't get my sleep, so... So you yeah. never sleep? Is that what you're suggesting? Oh, fuck you too. And you set me up, I just knocked it down. I know, I know I did. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Oh, just Should not bake right. the cake. Not right at all. Yeah, right. Bake this. Anyway, <laughs> what the hell are we doing? I'm too tired to even know what the procedure is. You know, before we got started, I... I had to have the proper web pages up and I forgot the Gmail and oh my god. So this is gonna be an interesting episode as as semi conscious Scott tries to get his shit together. So what are we doing? We're doing uh we're doing emails, right? You know, let's knock out a couple emails before getting into the, the two issues of adventure comics that we have brought to the table today where Scott gets to do the light lifting on the synopsis part <laughs> of his uh, his issue. I got to do seventeen pages. He's got to do eight. So, <laughs> proving right then and there <laughs> that this issue, the, the first issue of Adventure Comics we're talking about today, four sixty three, was when the um, implosion officially hit the JSA because this was obviously meant to be a seventeen page story or somewhere around, somewhere abouts there. But the Wildcat one either was supposed to be a backup That's what I'm thinking. for an issue or was originally meant for Adventure Comics. But, man, they got to pad it out a couple more issues, didn't they, by having them as separate stories. <laughs> so uh, we got our first email from longtime listener, longtime emailer, Jose Rivera. He says, hey, guys, I'm surprised about the response. Your comments on both Smallville and Big Bang Theory have gotten from my fellow listeners watched Smallville from the beginning, just recently got into Big Bang Theory. I like both shows, but allow me to give you my take on why I like them and their relation to geek culture. 
The Big Bang Theory is an exaggerated version of geek culture for the sake of entertainment. But one of the reasons I like the show is that while they make fun of geek culture, there must be someone in there who is a big DC fan because there are some nice Easter eggs in the background and even in conversation. The main characters appear to be DC fans, and I honestly find that refreshing. One of the big problems I have with shows or movies where they go to a comic book store, mostly everything on the shelves are strictly Marvel. It's one of the many reasons I lost patience with Heroes, because it seemed more like a commercial for Marvel rather than a representative of comic book culture as a whole. So to see a mainly DC-enthusiastic show like that is a nice change of pace. That, and it has some pretty good comedic bits. With Smallville, I came to the realization that it's not a perfect show a long time ago. I almost dropped the show in Season 7, as it seemed they kept treading the same ground over and over again. But Seasons 8 and 9 have really gone forward with their own takes on Superman mythology, as well as adding more, in more DCU elements. It's a show with its own continuity, and for every good episode, there is an equally awful episode next to it, but for the past few years, the bad is becoming few and far between. Um, I'll just address that comic thing really quick. I think the main reason that you you see shows that are like mainly Marvel or mainly DC is probably that's the those are the companies that they've been able to get the licensing from to you to show those images, right? Because because I know what he's talking about a Big Bang Theory. One of the characters over his bed are a bunch of like Silver Age DC books in frames, and even on Seinfeld. Over George Costanza's bed was that was a beautiful Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Justice League group shot. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Seinfeld had a bunch of. I knew about the Superman thing. Yeah, but, yeah. Huh. Yeah, but uh, in fact, George Costanza's answering machine tone was uh, him singing an answering machine message to the tune of the Greatest American Hero theme. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but uh, but I, but it's probably because that's what Heroes was able to get, which is kind of ironic when you think that the Heroes comic was released through Wildstorm, which is owned by DC Comics. Oh, so, that's true. So there, so there you go on that. This issue had a couple of points that made me really enjoy it. One, I know you guys must have been happy to see Hawkman get the new mask. I certainly was. I refer to this as the metal mask, as any time I see it, I'm under the impression that if someone was to knock it against the side with a spoon, it would clink. Maybe it could be the metal mask because you know suddenly Hawkman has discovered you know Judas Priest and and then gets into glam metal. Wouldn't that be awesome if Hawkman was into glam metal? <laughs> I mean seriously, you know you go over to Hawkman's house and he's got like an entire room with like Slayer. Po- well, Slayer wasn't glam metal. Though. Slayer fans will kick my ass for that one. But like Poison and and Motley Crue and Rat. Oh God, that would. I could totally see Hawkman in a winger t-shirt with that kid from uh, Beavis and Butthead. That would be awesome. (laughs) Two, I found it interesting Levitz used previous injuries as as a way to explain Wildcat's Ben's Grimm speech. Three, I found the Thorn to be an interesting villain. She seems like a classic villain, complete with her henchmen, and they're referred to as a gang. I don't know. There's just something classic about that. Some things I didn't enjoy were, one, the whole idea of getting Icicles Ray for curing what is essentially a mix of poison and a fucking brain injury. Seriously? Two, the Sportsmaster is always a villain I've had interest in, but this costume is beyond ugly. And three, Hawkman and Dr. Fate have some problems with their wives, don't they? Anytime something goes down, they run off and tell the wives. See ya! Peace. (laughs) I had 
that little. I even threw up a gang sign, even though no one can see it. As for Wonder Woman, I've got two things to say about her in this issue. First, the Daily Planet feature of two Wonder Woman implying there was an Earth-1 and an Earth-2 Wonder Woman in the photo? Yeah, could have fooled me. When it comes to the Earth-2 Wonder Woman, I don't honestly see a difference. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) It looks like the artist just flipped the image. And as far as for Wonder Woman's hostess ad, I can't believe that actually made sense. I mean, one could argue that the kids would come to Wonder Woman if she called to them and Twinkies weren't really necessary, but I have a feeling that Twinkies were more for the girls as I could see the boys running towards her without Wonder Woman saying anything. (laughs) In fact, now that you mention it, where the hell did that backpack full of Twinkies come from? Something tells me there's a kid in the train crying because someone stole their backpack full of goodies. (laughs) It would have been funny if... uh, Wonder Woman said, hey, kids, and, like, dropped her top, and they all come running towards her. That would work for me. (laughs) All the adult men are running towards her, too. Jose Rivera, P.S., AAU Shoes. I never thought we'd see this again. I hate being wrong. Though the AAU superstar taking on Dead Man, I mean the Sinister Soul. The Sinister Soul looks like Dead Man had sex with the Atomic Skull. Oh, he's right. (laughs) I was waiting for a kid to pop in a panel and tell them, enough with the damn puns already. Sheesh, at least Wonder Woman gives us Twinkies. (laughs) Oh, I like the AAU Superstar, though. I really do. I hope we get more of those ads, although probably not. But I got a kick out of them. (laughs) Yes. All right, let's see. I got the next one, don't I? Let's see here. Yes, you do. Okay, we got one. Ah, we got one from Trent Thornton. This one is uh, commenting on episode 17. He says, Scott and Michael, thanks for reading my email in the last episode. My appreciation for Guy Gardner mostly revolves around his having an actual personality. (laughs) While Kyle Rayner is okay, Hal Jordan is one of the most boring characters in all of Comicton. Amen, brother. He says it's sort of a toss-up as to whether he's more bland and vanilla than Barry Allen. I would say he's slightly less bland and vanilla than Barry Allen, but you're right, it's pretty much a toss-up. Jack T. Chance was a fun Green Lantern, too, although it doesn't seem uh, like he wasn't among the 10 billion other core members John's needlessly brought back. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure about that. I don't remember if he, he was. Got... He was in Blackest Night. Was he? Okay. He was As a Black. Lantern. Okay, all right. Well, I guess that answers that. He says, I dig on Alan Scott, but feel he works best in a team environment. But Guy Gardner, he's tough. He doesn't put up with a lot of bullshit, and I frankly much prefer that in my uh, comics to a character who sits around all the time whining and crying about whatever's going on in his personal life at the moment. As you can imagine... The 90s kind of sucked for me when it comes to comics. As to the issue at hand, why in the fuck would the frost ray be the first thing anybody thinks caused Wildcat's brain injury? The guy used to be a heavyweight fighter. (laughs) Call me crazy, but I'd venture he probably got punched in the head a few times in that line of work. I swear, sometimes it's almost as if Rocky V never happened. Well, in my mind, Rocky V never happened, but anyway... It's re- I like Rocky Five. Ah, uh, well, well, there was one of you. It's ridiculous. The whole thing. I'm sorry, that sounded really mean. Didn't it? 
<laughs> was that the one where he was like all brain damaged and shit, and he ends up brawling that kid in the street at the end of it? Yeah. Okay, I I, I don't take it back then. That movie was crap, man. What are you talking about? I'm Although not going to get into a discussion on Rocky Five. Right well, now. I ever saw it one time, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it's maybe it needs a subsequent viewing. But the one time I watched, it, I was like, "Ooh, this franchise is way beyond Jump to the Shark." Anyway, it's ridiculous. He says. The whole thing is about as idiotic as assuming that your great uncle Swindon had a heart attack during the family reunion because he had a plate of fried chicken the week before while banishing any notion that maybe the shrapnel he took in the chest back in Vietnam could have played a part. (laughs) The doctor could have at least added, and the swelling of his brain was like exacerbated by getting the shit pounded out of him for years on end and more recently taking matters into his own hands each night because a new scantily clad hottie joined your group of masked heroes. Ah, that would totally work. I realize this is fiction, but throw me a friggin' crumb. (laughs) And now for something completely different. Imagine you haven't read this issue and flip straight to the last page. Would that or would that not be among your all-time desert island top five what-the-fuck comic panels of all time? And you know, without the issue in front of me, I don't know what he's referring to. Do you? Do you remember? I forget. That was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Absent context, this is one goofy and disturbing image. As far as the Hostess ad goes, you guys didn't seem to find anything disturbing about it. It kind of makes me wonder if we were reading the same ad. I thought the dialogue in panel 4 where Wonder Woman stops the train could be rather amusing if read aloud to random passers-by in the airport. (laughs) Well, that, that works for anything in comic books, I think. Uh, Ten to one, they wouldn't think you were talking about Twinkies. Although I understand that Scott uh, maybe doesn't like being the ranty guy all the time. It makes for fun listening. Yeah, I I hear that shit all the time. I don't mind longer episodes if the laughs or strong opinions keep on coming. Speaking of Scott, I assume he didn't dig on the Burton Batman films because of a passing remark he made in the Catharsis episode of Views from the Long Box about giving up the Batman titles. I'm sorry if I misrepresented him. No, you didn't. I didn't dig those movies. I'm also sorry that he's wrong about them not being kick-ass Batman movies, but nobody's perfect. At least we agree on the overhyped, overrated, and overwritten Nolan Batman films. All in all, another good episode, and this one was from Trent Thornton. Thank you, Trent, and uh, no, I'm not wrong. And I don't want to be perfect, because the last perfect guy we got got nailed to a tree for it. So, on to the next one. Jesus. Yes, that was the guy. (laughs) Oh, God. All right, next one is from Charlie Niemeyer. Says, hey guys, just listened to episode 18 and you said something at the end that just kind of irked me. Seriously, who better to draw the wedding of the original Superman than a classic Superman artist? Personally, the Bronze Age is one of my favorite eras of Superman, and Kurt Swan's art is most of the reason. After Superman number 300, DC was continually trying to replace him on the Superman books. Garcia Lopez didn't work out because at the time he was unable to produce a monthly book. 
while Kurt Swan could produce two plus the occasionally jo- occasional job in other DC books, such as DC Comics Presents, just about all of the hostess ads, and an issue of New Teen Titans. I apologize, and I know you guys apologize, but I didn't really like how you kept sounding so disappointed whenever you mentioned his name. He was a great artist and continually strove to improve his artwork, including working with other artists like Joe Kubert. Other than that, I thought it was a great show. Keep up the awesome work. Charlie. The problem with Kurt Swan for me personally, I don't mean to knock the guy because he was the Superman artist as I was coming up as a kid. And you're right. He was a great artist. He had an incredible work ethic. He had an incredible uh, ability, as you say, to just produce work, you know, on time. And he could do, you know, he could outdraw time-wise a lot of other artists. But the problem with him is, is he's like that guy that you invite over to the house and then you can't fucking get rid of him. He overstayed his welcome, in my, in my opinion. And I'm not knocking the guy. I, I swear I'm not. As a matter of fact, beyond this episode, whichever one, this was episode eight, 18. Uh, what was it, Mike, that we were just talking about? Oh, it was last episode with yeah. the wedding issue. I mean, I raved about his art because I thought the art was fantastic in that. Part of it was he also had an, an inker that really made him look awesome, which he didn't always get on a consistent basis in the regular Superman titles. But that issue's fantastic. The the wedding issue really stands out as one of uh, Swan's better pieces during that period. I just think, and this is just my opinion... But I just think that Superman, the character, would have been better served by this point in his history had somebody with a more dynamic flair stepped forward to to take control, somebody like Agarcia Lopez. But, like I say, just my opinion. Yeah, I've... <laughs> seems like every time I talk about Kurt Swan, I have to preface it by saying I think he was a good artist, but... Right. Uh, <laughs> But basically everything you said, by this point in in the character's career, he needed a new look. You know, Wayne Boring was a great Superman artist as well, but by the late 50s and the early 60s, Kurt Swan's style had came in, because there was a new generation of kids starting to pick up the books, uh, mainly based probably on watching reruns of The Adventures of Superman, George Reeves series that was in syndication for like ever until now. I think it's still on some channel. I forget which one, though. Right. But, you know, by by the 70s, and I'm not saying that audiences were so much more sophisticated in the 70s, because really and truly they weren't, but I think every generation deserves their version of a character, and Swan's version was there for 25 years, pretty much. And that in a generation of comic fans, when you consider a generation of comic fans used to be like three to four years, I mean, that's six generations coming up with this guy as their artist. Right. Some people like it, some people don't. But I, I kind of wonder what those Superman stories that Carrie Bates and Marv, Wol- well, Marv Wolfman drew with Gil Kane, but he, he, he worked with Swan. But like the, the, the stories that Carrie Bates was telling where he was really trying to up the ante in terms of characterization of the supporting cast and of Superman himself, what those would have looked like with another artist. Yeah. Because when you, like, you keep mentioning that one scene where Lois and Superman are on a date and they're dancing and suddenly they're over, they're in the air. Right. 
I think that looked dynamic and that looked new and fresh because it was a new artist. It, it was a newer artist doing a dynamic take on the character. Right. So if you would have had that, I'm not saying that the reboot would have been wouldn't have been necessary because we can't say that. But I, I think Superman might have had a better reputation amongst comic fans at that time if he looked a little newer and fresher along with the other artists of that time that were making such a big splash. Right. Absolutely. But that's just, that's just me. So. I mean, there's no escaping the fact that comics, by its very definition, you know, the, the writing and the art are both equally important because look at all the great comics that are out there that, honestly, if you just switched out the artists, they wouldn't be the shit that they are. Because look at, you know, one thing I can always go back to is the classic, you know, the original Wolfman Perez New Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. As soon as Perez left that book and other artists started to come in, the sales plummeted on that book. And as a matter of fact, that's the only hole in my Titans collection is that period. I, I don't even remember who the artist was, but the art changed. And are the stories worse? Are the stories any different or anything? Probably not, because it was the same exact writer. And the stories are awesome when Perez came back. So I don't think that the, it took a dip as far as the writing, but it was simply the matter, the art changed, and it wasn't what we wanted. And so I totally agree with you that, you know, some awesome stuff came out in late in Superman's Silver Age career, but just simply the fact that the art style didn't change I think a lot of people ignored it, or a lot of people just, it's not as appreciated as maybe it should be, because there were some very good stories coming out during that period, but it just had a dated art style in it. So, I don't know, but again, it feels like we're getting into Swan-bashing territory, and that is not at all my intention, because I do have a great respect for Kurt Swan, and some of my all-time favorite Superman stories are Kurt Swan stories. So, I'm sorry if it sounds like we're bashing the guy, it's just... You know, like I say, I think he, uh, I think he overstated his welcome, but just our opinion. Anyway, all right. Next one is from Stan Johnston that says, "Hey guys, and happy St. Patrick's Day." We're behind. Thanks, uh, <laughs> Scott. In regards to your comments about auctioning off my kids, I'm afraid it's too late. The oldest is in college, and the other graduates high school in May. That's kind of like auctioning them off, isn't it? Uh, at least he will if he knows what's good for him. <laughs> anyway, they're already ruined. I'm pretty sure no one would bid on them. I'm just glad that the Pokemon phase is over. You two say a lot of the shit, I think. Case in point, being what you said about those idiotic disclaimers warning people that coffee is hot. No shit, no shit, Sherlock. It's called common sense. And if you lack it to the point that you need these kinds of warnings and you shouldn't be allowed outside in the first place... <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm also irritated by those ads on TV for medicines that give you wood. They run a disclaimer saying that they don't prevent STDs or pregnancy. Why should that be there? If you're dumb enough to assume that because a pill gets Mr. Happy to salute, will also magically render your sperm sterile, then you deserve whatever happens. <laughs> I, I just wish that they would amend. I, I just one time I want to hear one of those commercials with the uh, if you get an erection that lasts for more than four hours, seek immediate medical assistance. No fucking way, dude. If I get one that lasts for more than four hours, I'm seeking a woman, okay? <laughs> I agree with much of 
what you said in response to my question about the iPad. Such a device would literally herald the end of paper comics, although I think it will be a gradual process. There are enough old-school collectors who will always want a physical copy of their comics, but the younger generation will be content with a digital-only delivery system. For me, pixels on a screen, while pretty to look at and convenient to store, will never replace holding a paper comic in my hands. As for the back issues, there is no replacement for that old comic smell. See, that's what we need to package to comic fans. It's like a room deodorizer. You know, like, you know, hearts and flowers, you know, vanilla oil, old comic book smell. I'm just thinking about that line from Christine. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Christine where the guy, the old guy that sells him the car comics on. New car smell. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) What is that line again? Uh, I don't know that we should say that, so keep moving, keep moving. (laughs) That said, I do look forward to being able to have an entire run of the Avengers available on something like the iPad. One thing that would be a deal-breaker for me, though, is the format. My wife bought me a couple of the Marvel DVD comic sets for Christmas a couple years ago, and while it is probably the only way I'm ever going to own a copy of Fantastic Four number one, I hate the fact that they chose to package the comics as PDF files. PDFs are way too clunky. CBR is the only way to go. Amen. I I really don't see much of a difference between the two, but that's okay. Oh, there's a total <laughs> difference. PDFs are a fucking pain in the ass, man. Okay. If digital comics do kill the back issue market and people start tossing their collections into dumpsters, as Michael suggested... I am hope I am fortunate enough to witness some of these occurrences. I will gladly go dumpster diving for old comics. I won't sell my collection just because it w- could be worthless someday, because I've never bought any of the comics with an eye towards reselling them. I paid what I paid. After that, an increase or decrease in value doesn't matter to me. My pleasure is in owning the comics, and I have some that are worth a few hundred dollars. Uh, that's great, but not really important to me. For every Tales of Suspense, number 39, or Fantastic... Uh, number uh, Fantastic Four number fifty in my collection. There's also a complete run of sectars. <laughs> <laughs> I like to throw out a few names for your list of comic book artists who don't get their due: Butch Geis or Jackson, as he is known to me now. Keith Pollard, Don Newton, mm-hmm. Tom Greinberg, Tom Grummet, mm-hmm. Jerry Bingham, mm-hmm. Trevor Von Eden, and Ooh. Brent Anderson. I I'll, I'll agree with everything except Trevor Von Eden. How the hell did he make that list? But that's that's just my editorializing. Most of these guys haven't done steady comic work in years, but I've always looked forward to reading anything they had drawn. Don Newton definitely had his own style, but I thought he could set a mood as well as Gene Colan could. Absolutely. It's sad that he left us so soon. Bingham drew the best Black Panther ever, and Anderson drew what is still one of my favorite X-Men stories from Uncanny X-Men number 144, not to mention his beautiful work on Kazar in the 80s. Please share your thoughts on any of these guys. I, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, yeah I definitely. guys, yeah, Tom Grummet, yeah, Jerry Bingham, yeah, Don Newton, definitely, yeah. Wasn't Geist the one that was doing uh, X-Factor in its earliest issues? When it, yes. when it first, yeah, that was some great stuff. I, I love that. Uh, Pollard, he did, uh, I hope I've got the right guy. I think he did a bunch of covers for like uh, Further, Adventure, Further Adventures of Indiana Jones that were really good. Don Newton, Love is Batman and uh, Captain Marvel stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Reinberg, absolutely. Gromit, yeah. Yeah, he's one of those guys I'll, I'll follow from project to project just because I like his art and I don't really even care sometimes about what he's drawing. I just like looking at it. Bingham, he's still got it, by the way. I'm following him on Facebook and he keeps posting up art. And oh my God, it's great stuff. Uh, Brett Anderson, I'm not as familiar with, but I like what I've seen of his stuff. And then the only one that, that I, you know, like I say, that I, I kind of wonder, well, I don't think so, is that Trevor Von Eden. To me, he looks like, uh, oh, who, was, who the hell was that guy that was doing Nemesis backups? In, Dan Spiegel? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I just don't care for that art. It, it's too much Alex Toth for me, which. Yeah, yeah, I know it's heresy not to like Alex Toth, but I just don't. I'm sorry. It's his art just never did it for me. It's too too blocky or too I don't know something. Every time you say something like that, I have an image of a of like stock footage from an old black and white horror movie. A bunch of villagers running through the streets <laughs> with pitchforks and those rake thingies and torches. There's the monster! Get him! <laughs> God damn it, Scott! Every time you say this, these people show up. Uh, I swear to God, it's it's getting to the point. I was gonna, I I refrained from getting into this when we were talking about Kurt Swan, but I'll I'll bring it up just politely here. It's getting to the point. I swear to God, where I feel like I can't say anything. Sometimes I really do, and I'm not trying to bitch and whine. I'm just saying that sometimes it feels that way because for every letter that we get saying, "Yeah, preach it, brother." Then we get 10 of them saying, you know, oh, how can you not like blah, blah, blah? You know, you ran down my favorite thing. It's like, look, I'm not trying to piss on anybody's parade. You asked me my opinion. I'm giving it to you. You know, we, we're coming up on one. I don't know who it was, but we'll get to it when we get to it about Brave and the Bold. I, I you know, I made some disparaging comments about Brave and the Bold. Well, let me just tell you, I, I, I'm still watching the show. I'm trying like hell to get caught up. And I'm I'm digging it. It's starting to sway me. But, you know, every time I get to where I'm like, you know, maybe the show's not so bad. Then they have just an absolutely horrible, horrible episode. So, you know, it's still got the Smallville thing working against it. But I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to be more open-minded. I'm trying not to piss on people's parades. So just work with me here, people. All righty. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to blow off your comments. I'm just trying to get through the episode. Oh, I know. Because <laughs> we could get off in another, like, ten-minute conversation. Oh, I know it. Uh, okay, some comments on All-Star Comics number 72. I really liked Hawkman's new helmet. Great catch on the flash at the bottom of page two. Not only does it look like he's stroking the meat pole, <laughs> it also looks like he's a- about to deliver his payload. Oh! I know that some people were expressing their sexuality more openly in the 70s than ever before, but geez, some things still need to be done in private. That that shit would have never happened if Batman were still in the JSA. (laughs) Is he suggesting that Batman... I just have this image now in the old Super Friends style. It's like, alrighty, everybody, we just locked up Pear Degaton again, though we can't remember the adventure, because every time we have an adventure with Pear Degaton, it automatically... Flash, for Christ! (laughs) (laughs) I can't even get through it! It's like, you ever see the movie Slapshot? Yes, I was just thinking that same exact thing about the guy that would purposely get penalties so he could go beat off in the penalty box. That's hysterical. A chronic masturbator. Oh my god, I can't believe we both were thinking the same exact thing. <laughs> but I god damn, I love that it. movie. 
I hate when I'm trying to make a joke and I make myself laugh. It's so swear kid. <laughs> um, until I started re. <laughs> Until I started rereading these issues and listening to you guys talk about the stories, it had never really occurred to me how many members of the team would blow off an emergency summons. We're going to get to that again yes. pretty pretty soon, I think in the next episode. Uh, there should have been a JSA bylaw that stated you were allowed to ignore a summons only once every six months. And if you were... And if you went over the limit, you were demoted to the Junior Justice Society. I completely agree with that, by the way. I think, you know, yeah, you miss one or two and you're out. That They should have had that. What was up with Green Lantern's teeth on page 14, panel 4? I know he's supposed to be older, but he shouldn't be wearing dentures already. <laughs> My theory on the Star Wars fan club ad you talked about is that the guy who wrote the copy... Ju- for it got his mythology mixed up when he wrote the line about obi-wan returning as promised he was thinking of king arthur or jesus <laughs> one thing i noticed- actually obi-wan resembles jesus quite strongly because my kids were playing with their star wars figures the other day and they've got the clone wars obi-wan yeah. and they took his helmet off and i said hey it's obi-wan christ or something like that just trying to crack him up and my wife was like oh my god he does look like jesus <laughs> isn't it funny when your wife is on the same level at you at that point. It's frightening. It kind of surprises you. (laughs) Uh, One thing I've noticed about the ad was the request for payment in 1977 U.S. dollars. Maybe the 1977 dollar was more valuable than the ones from 1976. (laughs) You guys need to track down a copy of Showcase number 100. It's sort of like a mini Crisis on Infinite Earths. My mom found this for me at a yard sale way back in the early 80s, and I still have it, beaten to hell as it is. And yes, my mom was awesome and would indeed scout comics for me at yard sales when she went. She cast a wide net, so I got a lot of Harvey and Archie, but she would bring me home some really good superhero stuff, too. You tell your mom from us that your mom rules. And uh, I have been searching for this Showcase 100 ever since reading this email, and so far, no luck. But I'm trying to score it on the cheap, too. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to read it now that he – especially, you know, he said the magic words, Crisis on Infinite Earths, so now i got to read it. Finally, have either of you read any of the All-Star Companions that Royce Thomas wrote? Or maybe, or maybe just edited, not sure. Anyway, I've read a few reviews at Amazon, and they sound good. Amazon. But I would be interested in your thoughts if you can give an opinion. I think we've talked about this before. I have the first two. I have the first one, yeah. I really enjoyed both of them. The first one really concentrates on the stuff in the 40s. But the second one is an issue-by-issue index with background information and rare artwork and stuff of All-Star Squadron. And Uh I was actually using that pretty hot and heavy when I had my All-Star Squadron blog for about a month and a half there, the Perisphere. So, uh, actually, a couple of months. God. When we get to those episodes, I'll, I'll point everybody to that, uh, to that blog just so you can see what I was doing in 2007 while my wife was mending from a broken leg. Anyways, not that one had anything to do with the other. Just to throw that out there because that was <laughs> bad. Thank God, thanks, guys. And, Scott, I'm still laughing at you. Stan. That's not nice. <laughs> See, I already get up every morning with that that voice in my head from uh, from Carrie, so yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> They're myself. all gonna laugh at you. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't help, dude. They're all gonna laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. Do you realize, Scott, that we have referenced two Stephen King movies in one episode? Awesome. <laughs>
Are we ready to get rolling on the issue itself? I think we are ready. Yeah, we better we better get moving. Okay. All right, this one is from Adventure Comics number 463. 68 pa- pages, still no ads from cover to cover, and really and truly there wasn't any ads on the inside covers as well. So that that's kind of de- I miss the ads. They're coming back next episode though, folks. Because apparently they just said, fuck it, we're losing too much money on this shit. Let's throw some ads <laughs> in there. Um, the story is called The Night of the Soul Thief. Our roll call is Green Lantern, Power Girl, Flash, Robin, Huntress, and Dr. Fate. It was written by Paul Levitz with art by Joe Staten and Dave Hunt. I had a really weird thought when I was reading this the first t- time that, I'm, that I was really glad his name wasn't Mike. Oh, that's his brother. Oh, okay. I didn't want to have to read that on the air. Because <laughs> you would have laughed every time I said yes, it. Yes, I would have. <laughs> we open up as the JSA runs past a giant fountain. Yesterday a living legend died, and now the time has come for vengeance. The trail leads to Olmstead Park, and after some typical, I know what I'm talking about, but but I'm Dr. Fate, so I'm going to be all vague talk, Dr. Fate, takes off with the Huntress, leaving the rest of the JSA behind. Power Girl is initially upset about this, but Flash points out that Dr. Fate doesn't know what the hell he's talking about and suggests that they split up to search for the killer of Batman, which has led them to Olmstead Park. Flash and Power Girl search one end of the park and discuss their earlier race, Flash and Green Lantern search another and discuss the the fact that Dick's secret identity is now public knowledge. When the fuck did that happen? Um, (laughs) Across the park, Fate and Huntress are talking once again about the fact that Fate doesn't know what the hell he's talking about and doing before they are attacked by a water elemental. Things seem to be going well until the elemental breathes fire as well before Fate and the elemental have a silent communication. Fate takes off his helmet and is whisked off to parts unknown. Flash and Power Girl have another race and nearly have a hot dog before a fire elemental shows up. Power Girl has some trouble with the creature before Flash hits it with water from a nearby fountain. The two are rather pleased with themselves until a voice behind them says, But it matters not, Flash. Not in the end. Elsewhere, Green Lantern and Robin are being attacked by an Earth Elemental that began in a cutscene that will hopefully be on the DVD. Do you get the feeling that pages were cut out of this thing as you read it? I do kind of wonder that, actually. It, yeah. it does seem abbreviated, and, and some, of the, uh, some of the sequence do seem a little bit choppy, like maybe there was more to it originally, and it got whittled down for this issue, so yeah. So GL gets knocked out early because of all of the wood involved. And Robin is is only able to escape because of mini lasers and utility belts. Power Girl and Flash show up just in time for more Earth Elementals to appear, and a fight breaks out before Air Demons attack, knocking everyone out. It is then that Frederick Vox makes his presence known and calls upon the Nether Gods to honor their agreement because he's given them six souls, as promised. Apparently Vox was responsible for Batman's death, and now he is going to banish the very idea of heroes from everyone on planet Earth, and we actually see this start to happen in Gotham City. Dr. Fate arrives and says, I don't fucking think so, and soon is <laughs> on like Donkey Kong with the JSA versus the Elementals 
round two. They defeat Vox, and the Huntress continues to beat him mercilessly until fate stops her, because he's pretty much brain-dead anyways. After the Elementals return from whence they came, fate explains that because of Vox's magic, he is able to tweak everyone's minds ever so subtly and make them forget about the fact that Bruce Wayne was Batman, which also protects Dick and Helena's identities, too. This is one last service to a dear old friend, and Dick has the feeling that somewhere Bruce is saying thanks to. Man, there's there's like a lot to talk about here. Oh, I don't know. I, I really don't have too many notes on this. Well, one, so. it's not a bad story. No. Really and truly, I mean, com- compared to some of the other ones we've, uh, we've read. Uh, l- let's start at the beginning. There's just a lot here from the last story to this story that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense (laughs) to me. Because, you know, we talked in the last episode, and you mentioned that it was kind of cleared up in this issue, but we talked in the last episode that, you know, they buried Batman under the name Bruce Wayne, and now his identity is out there. But we never really get a full-on conversation about that. And again, I think, I get the feeling that something was cut out of this issue or the story to make it fit 17 pages, and it just wasn't a really nice and even cut. Um, page three of the story, what is up with uh, the Wonder Woman-looking chick wearing a sweatshirt that says, Hi, I'm Phyllis? I don't understand that at all. It looks like she's jogging with Wonder Man, too. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the fact that Flash was pretty much like, calm down, you heard fate, he really doesn't know where he's going any more than the rest of us do. <laughs> and that's and that's Flash's subtle way of saying, god damn it, that man has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, don't listen to him, he's completely full of shit. Yeah, I love it. I would, lo- I would love to, to do some modernization <laughs> on some of these back issues. <laughs> um, page 8 of the story, Power Girl looks really good in that panel where she's smiling and saying... Okay, then, the last one out of the park uh, picks up the tag at Lu Chow's, the south gate uh, of the park, of course. It's actually just a really pleasant... She's, like, smiling for once. Yeah. It's it's very odd, though. It's nice to know that she's a drunk. Um, I assume that Lu Chow's is a bar, because why would you pick up a tab at a... Uh, at a restaurant? Or maybe that was an old way of saying picking up the bill. I don't know. Um... Page 13, the scenes of, of people forgetting about who the heroes were. You know, we got a couple of people, you know, waking up. Like, we, we get a shot of a couple prostitutes and their pimp. We get a shot of <laughs> Ramon from uh, the, the Burns Incredible Hulk run, the guy that was Betty, uh, Betty Ross's <laughs> husband, trying to knife somebody. You know, we get a cop and we get the cleaning lady. That's just a bizarre image. It really is. Yeah, it is. I really don't like the look of Frederick Fox. I think that's a really silly looking costume. He he's very Ditko esque. And my, yeah. my the note I had on that was I really wanted to see the cut scene where Doctor Strange shows up wanting his girlfriend's outfit outfit <laughs> back from Vox. Does, does that and, not look like Clea or whatever her name yes. is? Cleo or <laughs> Clea or whatever? It looks like her clothes, doesn't it? Um the thing that really bugs me about this issue is that it seems like Levitt's opened up a can of worms and then put them back with a really pat and convenient uh, method of doing so. You know, he, 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 you know, Batman is Bruce Wayne. 
okay, that's fine. Instead of dealing with that, it's like, oh, through magic, we're going to make everybody forget. Right. And all I can think of is the fact that the last time a bunch of heroes messed with people's minds because of Batman, Batman got pits, pissed and Max and Blue Beetle got shot. So, yeah, I don't think Batman would be happy about that at all. In fact, I think Batman would be up in hero heaven going, what the fuck? What, what, did, you just, did you just manipulate a bunch of people's minds just, <laughs> just, just to protect my secret identity? I'm dead! I don't give a shit. Yeah, you know, Robin and, and Huntress seem okay at the beginning of this issue with, with their identities being outed. They don't seem to have a problem with it, so, yeah. I, I, I like the fact that they don't have masks on for the entire issue until that last panel, when magically the masks are back on. Yeah, I really wish that there had been an explanation for that. You know, like uh, Dr. Fate said, oh, by the way, let me whip you up some new masks, because it gives the impression that they had their masks in their pocket the whole time or something, you know, just in case they'd need them again or something. I don't know. It's a little bit bizarre. Um, My final note, and it's on the issue as a whole, outside of, you know, really kind of liking the story, but thinking it was a little too convenient, was in the Dead Man story. Uh, before this issue, there's a dude walking around dressed like Iron Monroe, and I think that's awesome. And it makes oh me, yeah, it makes me really wish that Jose Luis Garcia Lopez had done a young All Star story. Oh yeah, totally. But awesome. oh, you're right. This guy totally looks like Iron Monroe. That's cool. <laughs> that's very cool. <laughs> so what have you got? You got thousands of listeners going. Who the hell is Iron Monroe? Um, just really, just a couple of notes. The uh, the fire monster that they fight on page uh, thirty four was this before or after his guest shot on Spider Man and his amazing friends? I wanted to <laughs> this think. would have been before, sir. Okay. Um, okay. Big sticking point in this story. So Vox knew that Batman was Commissioner Wayne. Then I guess so. How the hell did that happen? You know, I'd love I to see your point. <laughs> yeah, we need to know this kind of thing. You know, that's that's rather an important story element that's completely just swept blown past. over. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, we actually do see the uh, Gotham Trade Center again. I thought that was kind of yes, cool do. that uh, that that reappears. And lastly, um, page forty, second panel. What the hell is the Fuhrer doing in Gotham City, I want to know. <laughs> well, he didn't really die, so there you Apparently. Go. <laughs> He's up to no good. I think rather than battling this uh, this second-rate uh, Ditko villain here, that they, they really needed to be going after uh, the primary bad guy, don't you think? The, the guy behind that whole World War II thing. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I did. I got a kick out of it. It's, uh, it's a little bit silly and wonky, but hey, I, I like that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not saying that it was a bad story by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we've read, we've read a lot worse in our time on this show, but it's just as a wrap-up to such an epic story of the death of Batman, it's just like, oh, wait, we've got we've to fix these problems before we can move on. And unfortunately, and I don't know about you, the next two stories that we're going to be covering, one in this episode and one in the next, just aren't all that strong. Oh, yeah, you're right. But you're, <laughs> you're spoiling ahead. But yeah, you're absolutely so, right. Well, you, you know, you cracked me up when you got to the end of your synopsis because your first thing was like, 
And you know, it's not that this was a bad, I'm thinking somebody out there is going, oh God, here it comes. Here it comes. Here they go. But no, you're right. It's it's not stellar, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I get yeah, it. I mean, I, I, like like I said, we've done a lot. We've gone through a lot worse on this show. We really have. Yeah, it's yeah. old school funny books, and I get a real kick out of it. Whereas this next story, well, let I'll I'll leave you guys to judge for yourself. Are we ready for the next one? You think? Yes, sir. I think we are. All right. This is the August 1979 issue, Adventure Comics number 464. Features a uh, fantastic cover on it by Jim Aparo of Dead Man being summoned to a uh, a seance. He's like, too late, you fools. No, I can't stop. It's really cool. Originally intended for uh, showcase number 105 and was reworked just a tad um, for this issue. Other features in this issue were Aquaman, The Flash, Wonder Woman, and, of course, the JSA are in there. Um, they're all featured, those guys are all featured on the back cover drawn by uh, Jose Delbo and Dick Giordano. It, it's a nice piece of art, too. I like that one. Anyway, the story that we're here to talk about is by Paul Levitz and Joe Staten, entitled, To Everything, There is a Season. Dick Robin Grayson, Karen... Uh, Power Girl Star and Helena the Huntress Wayne are all going out clubbing and invite Wildcat to come along, but he's in kind of a funk, so he declines. Down in the dumps, Wildcat changes to his civilian identity of Ted Grant and heads to a bar and grill, but a chance encounter with a former Bantamweight acquaintance of his puts him further into a mood, so he heads to the old dilapidated gym that he used to run. A kid passing by... Uh, asks him whatever happened to the joint and if it'll ever reopen, but leaves disheartened by Ted Grant's you know, response to him, which is just, you know, I kind of doubt it, kid. A cry for help causes him to change back into uniform and rush to the defense of an old man who's being beaten by a gang of toughs with the assistance of a kid who may or may not be the same kid that he was just talking to a moment ago. Their Their, sh- their shirts were colored differently. Um, it looks like the same kid, it's just hard to tell. Uh, the punks are whooped, and Wildcat shocks the kid by pulling back his mask and properly introducing himself as Wildcat, Ted Grant to my friends. And adding, very strangely, I feel, given what his teammates just went through for him in the last few issues, if I had any. And I was just like, wow, that's you're being kind of a dick there, Wildcat. But anyway... <laughs> Word. Yeah. Last page sees the next morning as the younger teammates return from a night of shaking their bootes to find Wildcat packed and leaving. He explains that he only came out of retirement to give some tips to the new group of contenders, and now that they're regular JSAers, he feels that they don't really need him around anymore. Besides, he says, someone's got to start worrying about where the next generation of superheroes is coming from. To which Dick Grayson elo- eloquently replies, Huh? <laughs> and that's the end of the issue. That's... And, you know, it was it's a backup. It's a backup story. Yeah, it's a backup story, and it's a backup story with, frankly, my least favorite uh, jsa of this period. Not a bad story, just kind of, just it's just kind of there. I, I had, I really just only have a couple of quick notes on this one. Um, the pendant 
that Dick Grayson is wearing at the very beginning of the story, he totally stole that from ISIS. I just want to point that out. <laughs> well, maybe not stole, but she left it when... Oh, yeah, that adds a that adds a whole new dimension to the story. There you go. Way to go. Score one, Dick Grayson. Uh, couldn't Wildcat's in-costume appearance among these other out-of-costume people on the opening splash page potentially jeopardize their newly restored secret identities, you think, maybe? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, Wildcat's just pretty much always in costume. That thing's got to be rank in my, you know, I'm, I'm guessing. I hope he has, like, a couple of them. I, I, don't, I doubt it, dude. I really do. He he looks like he's pretty much just broke living and, in it, living yeah, in it, <laughs> yeah, broke and hanging out there for the free grub or something. But really nice art in this one, although I prefer Staten to be inked by certain uh, other inkers other than himself. You know, I I don't think his art's as strong when he inks himself. Um, this this is true for many many artists. Very, there are very few artists that that can pull that off, though. Right. In my opinion, at least. So, uh, I'll, I'll agree with you there. But, uh, I, I thought it was a pretty good story. It's a, it's a nice, short, sweet story. You know, as I say, Wildcat, he just isn't my guy, but, uh, but this is a pretty good story, I guess. But what was really nice to see is, uh, I, I'm guessing that this was the beginning of the whole trainer aspect of Wildcat. And I, I yeah. really enjoyed that that's been picked up on and continued both in current comics today and, you know, in other media like on uh, on Brave and the Bold. You know, this seems to be kind of his function on there, too, is that he, he trains the, the up-and-comers, you know. I, I really like that aspect to his character. I think that's that's pretty cool, and it's nice to see this is where it got its start, apparently. What do you got? To me, as a backup story, this works great. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, like I said, that's what it feels like. It feels like this was the backup story to the main feature of All-Star Comics number 77, if there had been an All-Star Comics number 77. Right. It kind of brings an end to Wildcat's arc, and I use that term really loosely when it comes to this, because everything done to Wildcat has felt last minute. Like, 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 we need something to do with Wildcat. Well, we'll make him kind of ornery. Oh, we'll make him kind of Ben Grimmy. Oh, we'll we'll make him almost dead. I mean, that it just it doesn't <laughs> seem like there was ever really a plan for the character. No. What I what I like about this story is, like you said, the generational aspect. You know, through this, Wildcat has kind of an epiphany that you know, when I became a superhero, it was because a former heavyweight champion helped me out and gave me direction. So I want to do that uh, basically for this kid that he runs across. And I always got the sense that if Levitz would have had his druthers, this is the kid that in a couple of years would have become the new Wildcat. Hmm. Yeah, that's, would have been yeah a, that's interesting. Like if they, and, I'm, and this is me, you know, transposing my thoughts onto the story and, and, and have little to do with the story themselves. But if the kid would have been a little older, it would have been kind of cool that by the time Infinity Incorporated came around, he would have been able to step in as the new Wildcat. 
which I think is kind of cool. I do think it doesn't say much for Ted Grant that a 13-year-old was able to bail him out <laughs> uh, in a fight. But, no, it's just it's just really neat. Like you, I love the fact that this is one of the first times where we really get the generational aspect of the JSA coming through, of one of the members actually saying, I'm here to help the new generation of kids right coming up not you know well we're the new guy we're the old guys and here are the new guys and we're banding together to to battle evil which is cool but now it's just no it it is up to us it is up to our generation to usher in the new you know the new heroes and kind of show them how it's done not out of a sense of these guys don't know what they're doing I don't get that sense at all, just as that's our responsibility. You know, no one was there for us, but we have all this experience with all of the threats we faced, so we might as well be be there as kind of a mentor role. And that is why, you know, some people, I forget on what podcast I was listening to, but they were kind of bad-mouthing Jay Garrick and, and, and Alan Scott, saying, you know, why are they still around? Well, they're still around because they were the first generation of heroes. Right. And they have something to say. They have, they have a vital role. You know, yeah, they can't care. You know, Alan's, an Alan Scott Green Lantern series would not sustain in today's marketplace. But as a supporting character or as a member of a team, he works beautifully. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will have to say this. That is one styling jacket that Wildcat is wearing there at the end. Does it look like he just got laid or what? <laughs> He's got a big old smile on his face. He's been up all night. He's still in that skanky-ass Wildcat outfit. Probably smells like feet and burnt bacon. Or something <laughs> like that from that, uh, from that great robot chicken sketch about Emperor Palpatine getting the call from Darth Vader after the Death Star was destroyed. <laughs> Did you ever see that? No. Okay, you got to track that down. But no, you know, my initial reaction was to badmouth it, but I really can't because it's nothing any other than what it is. Right. You know, it's it, it's not trying to be an epic story, and I think the reason why they put it here was one to get it out there, and two, the Dead Man story was a full length story. Uh, the Dead Man story was like a 22, 23-page comic book story. Right, yeah, because so, it, was, it was supposed to have been its own issue, its own one-shot back there in uh, in Showcase. So that eats up six pages of material. Yeah. So you can't have a full one. So I liked it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I really hate the way... This is the one thing you're going to hear... One bad thing outside of the, the, the teeth and the lantern jaws that you'll hear me say about Staten's art. I really hate the little floppy ears on Wildcat. I just don't like that at all. I think they look silly. Yeah, what? Well, I, I think that may be part of my, my thing with Wildcat is I always thought that his cowl thing looked a little bit silly. Because it doesn't look... It doesn't really look caddish to me. It just... It looks no, like Batman with, with whiskers and droopy ears mm-hmm. is what it looks like. <laughs> anyway, yeah that's, all that's all I I, yeah, that's all I got on that one. So what do we got now? We got uh, Elsewhere in, in the, the DCU? DC Universe. And what do we got? Oh, we got some awesome ones this time. 
Uh, you take it first on DC Comics Presents number nine. DC Comics wait. Presents number nine. Now, Mike and I discovered this, shockingly discovered this, right before we started recording, that damned if that does not look like they are going up against Iceberg Head on the cover of this. <laughs> Somebody's got to write in and let me know what the deal is with this. I don't own this issue myself, but God damn, does it look maybe, like Iceberg maybe, Head. Maybe I'll cover it on my next DC book for Back to the There Mix. you go. There you go. Oh, do you have that issue? I have an entire run of DC Comics Presents. Oh, you lucky bastard. Actually, don't call me lucky, because I was missing one issue, and it was the one with He-Man in it. Ah, and, I got that one in the mail as a kid. <laughs> see, but, but here, here's the thing, is that in, like, 96, I saw that in the back issues of Titans, Games, and Comics, uh-huh. and it was a dollar. And I said, no, nah, I'll get that later. When I finally got around to getting my DC Comics Presents run in 2001, that was when all of those 80s properties were getting revamps in comic book form. Oh, yeah. And one of them was Masters of the Universe, and the price jumped up to $15. That's crazy, man, because that issue kind of sucks, to be honest with you. It's not even that good. And then it was gone, and I finally had to get it on eBay, and I paid like something like $6 for it, because it was the last issue. <laughs> but I got the rest of that run so cheap. Yeah, yeah, they are all, out there for it, cheap. It all evens out in the end for me. Yeah. It's one of Murphy's laws of comic book collecting. You know, if you're gonna, if you get issues one through twenty one and issues twenty three through fifty seven for like five bucks, you're gonna pay twenty for issue twenty two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, happens every every damn time. I like that Jonah Hex cover for number 24. That's a good story, too. I can't remember why he's descri- he's uh, disguising himself as a holy man, but yeah, that was a good story. That was that was a pretty cool. Now, I really like the uh, Garcia Lopez cover on Batman 311 there where they're fighting. It's Batman and a rarely seen uh, Batgirl. And, and the Bat- uh, well, I think she was in the Batman title. Well, yeah, for, during that time she was. I, I guess I can't say rarely seen, but it just seems like she wasn't around that much. But yeah, during that time she actually she was she was there quite a little bit. But yeah, fighting uh, Doc Phosphorus, I think that's a really really dynamic cover. Also love the cover. Not sure sure who the artist is on it. Buckler maybe of uh, Superman Family One Ninety Five of uh, Supergirl versus Superboy. Ross Ooh. Andrew. Ah, okay, yeah. Love that cover. That's beautiful. Um, I like Action 495 uh, has a pretty cool-looking cover, but that story is so, so good. It has him going back to Smallville and, like, showing the first S that he had had on his costume. It's It's a really cool... Little story. Uh, Brave and the Bold, number 150, Batman and Question Mark. I know this who the Question the first, Mark is. Yeah, this is the first appearance of Question Mark uh, in any DC comic. And he was a, kind of a lousy character because he was just a question mark. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. I'm looking at all of these covers, and the ones that are standing out to me are the non-superhero ones. And I have no idea why. <laughs> Because, like I've said a thousand times, I am a superhero guy. I yep. love superheroes. But I'm looking at that Sergeant Rock. I'm looking at that Scalp Hunter, the Jonah Hex, the Ghosts, one yeah. with the with the Ghost Cops, Ghost Cops, and all that. I'm just like, wow, those look all awesome. And I'm sure like the stories inside suck, because that's usually 
how it works for me is when I see a, a really awesome cover. The the artwork doesn't match up to anything on the inside, and the story's kind of lame, but I'd like to find out. I really would, so... Great you, know, you know why that on Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, the monster on that cover looks yeah. almost exactly like the fire monster that yeah. Flash and Power Girl fought <laughs> in this very issue. And I, I'm looking at it here. The cover penciler was Joe State. State. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's not so much of a coincidence after all. He had one fire monster in him, and that was it. <laughs> but um, Green Lantern. Green Arrow, number 116, has a really funny cover, and it has uh, Green Arrow coming in and going, Green Lantern, stop charging your power, for, power ring before it's too late! And the next panel is like Green Lantern getting all fucked up by this energy coming off his power battery. <laughs> but how it breathes in my head is Green, Lantern, Green Arrow walking in going, hey Hal, uh, there's a problem with your power battery, and then seeing everything going on, I'll just leave you alone with that then, <laughs> and closing the door behind him. <laughs> I really wish I was an artist like I had I could draw so that I could get these things that are in my head onto paper. Yes. You know, like that back to the bins we did where I described Batman's process of going through airport security and all that. <laughs> I'd love to see that just drawn out but <laughs> or animated on like robot chicken, but <laughs> just some nice looking covers in it. Uh, all in all on, on in this month. This is one of the better months for covers, I think. Yeah. There's some uh, good... Flipping ahead to the next month, we got yeah. some good ones here, too. We got... Uh, oh, look at that Su- detective... I'm yeah. sorry, that detective comics. Oh, wow. That's a good-looking Batgirl. Go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. I like the Batman, where it's uh, Batman and uh, the Calendar Man fighting on the train tracks. That's a... Uh, I'm pretty sure that's a Walt Simonson cover. That one's really cool. And, uh... Yes, it is. Superman and Sergeant Rock. That's a good story. uh, Yeah, it is. DC Comics presents number 10. What else do we got here that looks really cool? Um... This Justice League of America 167, that's part of that whole story that spun out into Identity Crisis, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think it is. Let's see what else we got. It amazes me how many covers of Jonah Hex and Weird Western Tales are really, really, really similar um, to later in uh, Marvel history, the further adventures of Indiana Jones. I almost wonder sometimes if Indiana Jones might have looked back and just swiped some stuff. Because, you know, again, there was that, that issue a while back where uh, Jonah was fighting somebody on like a bell tower or something and about to be thrown off. And then Scalp Hunter had a cover that was almost the same thing. And then later on, Indiana Jones had the same thing. Well, here again, there's a cover of uh, at least two covers I can think of, of Indiana Jones being dragged by something, like by a horse or a rope or something. And here's Jonah being drugged by a horse through, it looks like through like cacti and stuff. So that's, that's pretty funny. Got Hitler on the cover of Unknown Soldier. Do we? Where is that Unknown Soldier? Oh yeah, right there at the bottom. Sure enough. Now this issue of Superman isn't all that bad, from what I understand. It brought back Rose and the Thorn. Yeah, and uh, 
Superman's kind of dodgy at this point in history. I don't know why. It's like action was the stronger of the two titles. You got Brave and the Bold with Batman and the Flash. I always liked the pairing of those two because even... You would think that those are two characters that are kind of a natural to put together because at heart they're both kind of detectives. Mm -hmm. But it always seemed like, I guess, one, it's a color scheme thing, and two... You know, a, a guy with super speed and Batman just don't seem like they would work well together. Right. That but guy it, on the cover of Green Lantern 117 really wants you to put your pants on, Mike. He can't see anything. <laughs> Wearing underwear, at least. Y'all are lucky. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying there. So What the hell is going on on the cover of Wonder Woman 256? That's rather provocative for back in this day, isn't it? Oh, wow. Yeah, she's straddling him. Whoa. On the ground, taking off his mask and holding a gun. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's just really uncomfortable right now because he's totally <laughs> excited. <laughs> boy, 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 boy. And uh, he's trying to hide it, but he's wearing a skin tight outfit. And that, you know, there you, you, go. Can tell, you can tell what religion he is at this point. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's well, amazing. what the fuck is going on with the world's finest? It's a Jim Apero cover where they're just this old homeless lady as I've turned everyone in Metropolis to, to stone. Look at my bag, heroes, and see what I have in store for you. <laughs> it's a moldy sandwich. <laughs> it smells like feet. Ah. Uh, well, I think that's about it. There, it's not. A, unfortunately, we're in the DC implosion, so covers are not plentiful around Aww. this time period. So it's it's kind of sad. Kind of sad. Alrighty, both of the stories that we covered this time out are in Justice Society Volume Two. Um, if you have the individual issues, I suggest picking up the uh, this volume mainly because. The coloring, the recoloring of the issues are very strong. Uh, the art pops just a little more than the comic page, and I think that's just the the limitations of the coloring and all that at the time. So it's not a not an insult to the originals, but there are the images are a little clearer, especially in the Wildcat story. Uh, looks a little better, especially uh, that last page doesn't look so dark in the reprint but there you go thank you for listening to another exciting episode of tales of the justice society of america hosted by scott h gardner and michael r bailey if you like this show check out back to the bins where mike and i talk about random back issues from the past you can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell, called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. 
which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you.